Can I tell you this? I don't care how common or ordinary you and I are. If we allow God, if we get out of the way and let God do what He wants to do with our lives, He can do extraordinary things through us. And not because we're anything, but because He is. And uh, we look forward to the day that we're going to have a perfect body and a glorified body. But until that time comes, anything good that comes out of us is only because of Him. And I was, I was listening to a preacher years ago, and I'm sure it wasn't original with him, but he said, uh, all that I will ever be, he said, I owe to the glory of God. And I thought, well, what a great, great way to look at things. Because the truth is, if it were not for God, you and I would just be lost sinners on our way to hell. And I'm thankful that we can be redeemed, that, that uh, the Bible refers to us as the saints and the brethren, and those that uh, have uh, had their sins washed in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, and that we now have the Holy Spirit inside of us to help us to be more of what we ought to be for the Lord, and uh, to help us to grow daily, to help us understand Scripture, and uh, all of these things that the Holy Spirit helps us with, that we would not have were it not for the Lord Jesus Christ. And so uh, one of the great encouraging things about Nehemiah is he's just an ordinary guy that surrendered his heart to the Lord and said, Lord, I want your will done in my life. And we see that expressed throughout this book over and over again, as he says, according to the good hand of my God upon me. And uh, he keeps referring to that. He makes mention of the fact that all these things that he's doing, all these things that are he's being used to accomplish, are simply because of God's hand upon him. And I don't care what it is that you and I accomplish in this life, it will only be because of God's great hand upon us and allowing us to be something. And so we've studied about that. We find that he's put God's put some things in his heart, and that he made sure, he made certain that this was the will of God before he went out and started spouting off to everybody and telling everybody this is what God's will is. He took some time to make certain of that. He went and he saw, and he put his eyes on the, 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 the task and the job that God gave to him. And he was not discouraged by it. And I've, we've talked a little bit about that, what it takes for us to quit on God. And uh, that we should not be discouraged because no matter how great the task is, we have an even greater God that's able to help us accomplish those things. We've looked at that. Uh, We looked in uh, the last half of the chapter 2 when Sanballat, Tobiah, and uh, Gershon all came, or Gershon came and and laughed them to scorn. And yet uh, he continues on and says, the God of heaven, he will prosper us. And his his, uh, trust was not in his own strength. Uh, it was not in his own charisma, his own leadership ability, but it was in God. And that brought us to chapter 3. We spent some time last week dealing with uh, a few things out of chapter 3. It's, it's a list of, uh, almost kind of like the genealogies, it's a list of who built what section of the wall. And uh, there were some interesting things about it. It began with the high priest, Eliashib, and some of the other priests that sanctified uh, the, uh, the areas uh, by the sheep gate and uh, the tower of Hananiel. Um, and so uh, they began, the right kind of leadership started. And they. And by the way, anytime God sends any type of revival work or rebuilding work in our lives, it always begins in the spiritual realm. It does, never begins in the physical realm. Uh, God always does the work inwardly before it ever expresses itself outwardly. Have you ever noticed that? And uh, so it's very interesting to me that even though they're building a physical wall here, that he begins with the priests and the leaders, uh, religious leaders of the day. We saw last week in verse 5 that the nobles um, uh, of the Tekoites 
uh, did not put their necks to the work, and so we said uh, we ought not to be above such things. Whatever our hand finds to do, whatever God gives us to do, we should say, yes, Lord, and do it, and uh, not be above such things. And uh, then we got down to uh, verse number 8, uh, I think is where we ended last week about the goldsmiths, and how that there were very talented men, men that were uh, very gifted. God had gifted them in the area of artisanship and goldsmithing. Uh, but then there were also those of the apothecaries. And uh, we kind of learned from that that God uses all kinds, doesn't He? Uh, you ever get frustrated because everybody's not like you are? <laughs> uh, uh, there's times I've been like, well, if they'd just be more like me, everything would be fine. And we tend to do that, don't we? But aren't you glad God made different people with different gifts and different talents? And He uses all of them. That's the amazing thing. How He puts it all together and it all seems to work for His honor and glory. So for us to judge somebody else based on what we're, ta- we're talented with or what God has gifted us in and say, boy, that person's not doing what they ought to because they don't... We don't know that. We're not in a position to, to do those things. God gives every man, and the Bible says, according to His several ability. And the fact that He gifts different people with different talents and different abilities... And then as long as their heart is willing, He uses them in His work. And I'm thankful He uses all kinds of people. Uh, he uses people with hair and without hair. He uses skinny people, fat people. Uh, he uses people that can talk, and He uses people that can't talk. Uh, he uses people that uh, are good-looking and some that aren't so good-looking. And uh, He uses all kinds, doesn't He? And I'm thankful God can use anybody. And so lest we sit here... Uh, in a church and say, well, I don't think God can ever use me because I'm just too backwards in this area or I just don't have this or I don't have what that person has. Bloom where you're planted. Uh, We taught that to our young people last week in VBS. Bloom where you're planted. God has a plan for you. And it's not going to be the same plan it is for me. It's not going to be the same plan it is for Brother Richard or Brother Mark or Brother Wayne. God has a plan for you, and it's your plan. It's the one He has for you. And you may be a goldsmith or you may be an apothecary. He'll use you if you're willing. And I'm thankful that that verse is in Scripture. It teaches a valuable principle as we see that contrast. So that's kind of where we left off last week. And uh, then I just wanted to bring out one other verse here, and then I'm going to look at the gates. We're going to take a few moments to look uh, at the gates. Look with me, if you will, down in verse number uh, 11. And uh, Malchijah, the son of Haram, the, and Hashab, the son of uh, Pahath Moab, uh, repaired the other piece and the tower of the furnaces. And next unto him repaired Shalom, the son of uh, Helohesh, the ruler of the half part of Jerusalem. He, notice this, and his what? Daughters. And daughters. Now, I am all for men leadership in the church, and I believe God gives uh, leadership uh, in the homes to the, to the husbands and to the men of the family. But we oftentimes teach so much on the leadership Uh, spiritual leadership being placed on the man to where I think sometimes if we're not careful, women will get the idea that they're not able able to be used by the Lord. Can I tell you this? Women are to be able to be used by the Lord just as much as men are in any area of praying and and, uh, doing what God has them to do. The only areas of uh, things I find Him putting a hindrance on is them being a pastor in a church or a deacon. And uh, so it's one of those two things. Other than that, ladies, God can use you. And uh, a lot of times I think women feel like, well, we're going to sit back and we're just going to do uh, what we want to do and take care of the home and let my husband be the one that does all the spiritual labor and work. Can I tell you this? God has a plan for even the ladies in the church. 
And if somebody ever tells you differently, you need to take them to Scripture and find how many times God used women of the Bible to do His work and accomplish His will. It's amazing to see. And so I want us to understand this this morning, that uh, God doesn't just use men. God uses women too. And I want to encourage you in that. Now, I want us to take a few moments. It's interesting to me, and I made this statement last week, how God is, God is so perfect in writing Scripture, isn't He? Uh, I mean, we're talking about there is no other book in, in the world that can be written as perfectly as our Scriptures are. And whether by purposeful intent or just from the fact that He is just a perfect uh, author of Scripture... There are times when certain things, even though they're meant for one thing, they tend to line up and, and illustrate other points and other principles. I used the illustration last Sunday of um, the seven letters in Revelation that are written to seven literal churches. And they, each of those churches had certain characteristics and certain things that God dealt with them on. But one of the amazing things is if you take and you look at the church's history from the time of Christ until the present time, you can actually take and bracket periods of time in order, in chronological order, that line up in the same order that those churches in Revelation 7 do, with almost the identical characteristics and God's challenge to those, those churches that had those characteristics. And even though that may or may not have been God's intent to use that to illustrate or to show churches' uh, history and characteristics down through the timeline, in His perfectness, I believe it just happened that way. It's one of the things that just is, is amazing to see. When I get to chapter 3 of Nehemiah, we find something very similar because he goes through and he mentions each of the gates and he mentions them in a specific order. And I, I got to thinking on that. This has been probably 10 or 12 years ago. I got to thinking on that and I thought, you know, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And nothing is in there by mistake. Nothing is there by chance. And so obviously if he's mentioning these gates and he's mentioning them in a specific order and, and putting emphasis on some of them, there must be something specific about those gates. And so I started to read about it. And I started to look up some things. And uh, there was a unique parallel of these gates to the Christian life. And I want us to look at those very quickly. In verse number 1 of chapter 3, we find that it begins with the sheep gate. The sheep gate. This is the very first gate that is mentioned. And the reason it was called the Sheep Gate is because it was the gate that they brought the sacrificial lambs from the tower of the flock, the, 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 the valley of Ephrath, the shepherd's field. They brought them from there through the shepherd's gate for the sacrifices in the temple. And uh, we think, boy, that's interesting that the very first one that's mentioned in chapter 3 deals with the sacrifice for atonement. And can I tell you this, that in our Christian life, the very first thing that has to happen is we have to have that atonement applied to our life, don't we? We, we have to trust Christ as our Savior. And it's interesting to me that he mentions the sheep gate first. And then as we get down to verse number 3, we find that the second gate... And by the way, if you take a look at the old uh, map of Jerusalem, you'll find that these gates are in order around the city. There's none of them out of order. So they're coming in a... In a, in a, in a in order, the way that they, they came. And in chapter number 3, he mentions here in verse number 3, "...but the fish gate did the sons of Hesanah build, and also laid the beams thereof, and set the doors thereof, and the locks thereof, and the bars thereof." And uh, this fish gate is interesting uh, to uh, uh, because it speaks of evangelism and, and the fact that 
Jesus, when He told His disciples, I'll make you fishers of men. And again, in our lives, when we get saved, one of the first things we want to go and do is tell somebody else about it, isn't it? We want to go and tell others that, listen, let me tell you what happened to me. And uh, we call it making a profession of our faith. Telling others what has happened to us. And evangelism. And uh, the idea of being fishers of men in Matthew chapter 4 and uh, verse number 9. It is the natural progression, by the way, of a Christian's life. That when we get saved, there is a desire in us to have other people have the same thing that we have. To have them see the same things that we've seen. I don't know that there's very many people here that are saved sitting here this morning that would say, I have no concern for the lost. When we got saved, God put something inside of us that wants us to see other people get saved. And we want to see other people understand and know the Lord. And then we find in Nehemiah chapter number 3, verse 6, he brings up the next gate. And they call this one the old gate. The old gate. <coughs> now, Nehemiah is the only place in Scripture where this gate is called the old gate. Uh, but it's there for a specific reason. It speaks to us about our walk as a Christian and the idea of walking in the old paths and seeking the old ways. And so again, this is part of our sanctification. This is part of growing in, in the Lord. Uh, this idea of the old gate. And again, just to see these parallels. Now you can say, Brother Greg, that's just a coincidence that these things happen. And it may be. It, it very well could be. But isn't it wonderful that in God's perfect authorship, he gives us a beautiful picture just in the naming of the gates of our Christian life. We get saved. We want to tell people about Christ. We begin to seek the old paths and try to, try to hold true to sound doctrine. We try to find the old ways. And then he talks about, as we get down to verse number 13, he talks about the valley gate. The valley gate. And uh, this is an idea uh, <coughs> that there are times in our lives that we go through valleys. Uh, and that's about the way it, it happens, isn't it? We get saved. We're on fire for the Lord. We get excited. We start telling everybody about the Lord. We start seeking the old paths and growing and learning as a Christian. And then Satan hates it, doesn't he? And we do that for a little while. And it seems like the honeymoon period wears off. You ever had somebody get saved like that? Or maybe it happened in your life. 